Sylvia Silversmith. Hello, all you lovely peeps. And Marsha MacDonald. Yeah, hey, peeps, what up? This is a very special edition, episode, if you will, instalment even of the Dookie Radio Show because we have Leon Towers in the studio. Oh, the lovely Leon. We are very smitten, Dookie. You and I are very smitten indeed with indeed. the lovely Leon. Three years in the making. Legitimately, no exaggeration. It's this is true. not being amplified or oomphed in any way. That is technical terminology. Long-standing listeners of the Dookie Radio Show will know that some three years ago, we extolled the virtues of a very fine doggy soap called The Dog Hotel. The doggy soap, which Leon was pivotal in, follows a business called the House of Hugo, which is a five-star boutique dog hotel. Wow. Which basically has all of your doggy needs. Sylvia, let's do it together. All under one, one woof. woof. Wow. Uh, uh, when you when you say five-star, like, what does that mean? They're not messing about. They are not messing around. They have memory foam mattresses for the dogs. Extremely large um, proper beds, like plasma beds. screen televisions. They have televisions, which are about they, twice the size of what we have at the Dookie Radio Show house. They have TVs for the dogs. Mm. The dogs might get lonely and they need noise. Okay, I'm just asking, just asking. Is so I'm saying because some people might say that's that's pretty. What do you Brits say? O T T. Uh, not at all. And these are themed rooms. So they are themed. The boutique and boutique hotel is legitimately and rightfully used. They do hydrotherapy as well, which I think Leo Leon talks about, doesn't he? Indeed, yes. What, for the for the owners? No, for the dogs. For the dogs. Everything's for the dogs. Yes. You guys are nuts. The dog hotel television program was absolutely addictive and without a doubt Leon was standout brilliant and absolutely hilarious in it he was he was so funny and so wonderful and the warmth of himself and the funniness of himself just came through and through and you know sometimes you meet people who you've become smitten with on a certain show or on camera and then you meet them in real life and they you know all their humanness comes to the fore and you're not so smitten anymore you know when that happens, Stookie? It's happened to me many times, and for some reason, Father Dougal Maguire from Father Ted comes to mind. I think when he sees Henry Sellers go off on a bit of a oh, yes. rampage, he yes. says something along the lines of, don't meet your heroes, you'll only be disappointed. Ex exactly. Well, with the lovely Leon, it certainly wasn't that way at all. You meet him and he's just fabulous through and through. He, because we met him for real a few weeks ago when we went to the dog show that he had. They had the House of Hugo sixth birthday party. Yes. And we went to that. And that's when we saw him walking down the hallway in all his wonderful, gorgeous self. And I exclaimed to him, I love you. And I love his response, which was, why? <laughs> and I, I couldn't, I was so stymied for an answer, but I just felt like saying, you know, because you're Leon and you're lovely. And that's when we started to realize that he's just wonderful off the camera as well as on the camera. And the chat that we had covers every emotion that you can think of. There are laughs, 
there are genuinely tears. He really, really opened up, and that sensitivity oozes in everything that he does, and through the passion that he puts into the House of Hugo Dog Hotel. He's just a lovely, lovely man. A thoroughly great way to spend the afternoon. You guys had a pretty good day down there in Brighton, didn't you, you two? Indeed. And you brought your dog? Indeed. We went to visit the epicenter of all things doggy-related on the south coast with Molly in tow. Okay. So we were there not just on Dookie Radio Show business, but to enable Molly, the Dookie Radio Show dog, to be assessed... For doggy daycare. For doggy daycare. Uh, to see whether Dookie would like, in, in case the Dookie show, radio show goes away, then you know that you can leave the lovely Molly somewhere nice and safe and wonderful. While Molly was being assessed at House of Hugo, Leon and myself conducted the interview in the back of the venue, which is Leon's special one-to-one dog behaviour zone. And it's a lovely room. It's a very echoey room. So our interview sounds as though we are Shakespearean actors on stage. Or does it sound like you're in church? Ooh, I quite like that. That's a a reverential, secular, sexy thing. Or does it sound like Leon has arisen? Arisen. Like like Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> are you are you implying you there's brought, a Nazarene quality yes, to Mr. It, Towers? Yes, like a Nazarene quality, and he arose. Yes, and you interviewed him. <laughs> the one thing which comes to mind is if you had a drum kit in there, it would sound like the beginning of when the levee breaks, Led Zeppelin. It is that big sounding of a room. Honestly, we have not added any extra effects to this interview. The noises that you hear, the huge godly-like tones from Leon and myself come from this very special one-to-one dog behaviour zone. Dookie, I believe very firmly that that place is heaven on earth. So I think it's kind of apt. What, that it sounds That it sounds like the way it does. It, that place is heaven on earth to me. They might just move in there and they might just have to put up with me, I think. Maybe what we should do. Yes. Make a permanent block booking for one of the dog suites. Yes. And pretend that the dogs are going to be in there. But in reality, we'll book it for two dogs, but it'll just be for the two of us. Yeah, you guys get pretty weird now. This is not even a kennel. This is truly a dog hotel. It is a five-star luxury dog accommodation and it's not just the accommodation i mean the people who work there are amazing like when we were there before for the doggy birthday we met the lovely mia who is leon's right paw so i hear indeed she's now in charge largely with all things hydrotherapy so i believe that the right paw is now the venerable richard oh and we met richard too and he was very lovely with molly because molly is very shy around men this is true. And he's really tall as well. And Molly's particularly shy around really tall people. And he just exudes wonderful fabulousness. He's quirky, funny, and friendly in he's equal really measure. Funny. And uh, Richard was on call when Molly was being assessed. Yes. And uh, he reported back. I'm pleased to say that Molly, she passed the assessment. Isn't that fantastic? What, did she get like a report card? 
I'm not going to disclose her information. Okay, you know you don't want to embarrass the dog or whatever, but she she was satisfactory? There is that have, what it is? There may have been a distinction. Dookie, I'm not sure there was a distinction. I said there may have been. I didn't say it was true. She In a parallel universe, we received a report card and stars galore, distinctions. She got a first in friendliness. I th- a first in friendliness. You know how I love Molly the Sprawly? Yes. I'm not sure a first in friendliness is maybe really up there. She takes a while to warm to people. This is and true. And other dogs. It's quite a sheepdog trait. It is. She is very protective of the flock and anyone who isn't immediately in the flock. Yes. She needs to size up to work out whether or not they belong in the inner circle. The best thing that can- we came away with from that day... Because when, can I just interrupt? So when Sylv got home that night, Dookie, she was smiling from ear to ear. I mean, you guys, she was singing that song. What's that song that all the people sang? Like they all got together. We are the world. No, not that. The other one. Feed the world. No, the one about it being a really great day. Perfect day. Oh, yes. The, she was singing that. The Lou Reed track. Yeah. Which was done... A number of years ago, featuring many, many, you know, amazing talents. Yeah, of a lot of a lot of British people like music get and a even line. the jazz world. Yeah, like David Bowie, Joan Armatrading, Brett Anderson, <gasps> Courtney John. Pine. They all appear on this tune. I love that song. Even Boyzone. I love that song and I love that video. The only problem I have with that is that they gave Joan Armatrading two words. I mean, everybody else got a line or a phrase, and they cut her off after two words, and that annoys me. I mean, Shane McGowan got. It's such fun. It's such fun. Yes, but he's Shane McGowan. Yeah. And he's not Joan Armour Trading. Anyway, Three words. Let's, let's not go down the road of my love for Joan Armour Trading because I was actually singing Perfect Day when I walked in the door. She was, Dookie. I can attest to that. She was singing Perfect Day. And I was thinking, you know, I bet you have. I bet you have had a perfect day where you two... You go down to a place in Brighton, which I know you guys really like. I like it down there, too. Uh, And you walk into a place that's full of dogs and people who love dogs. Yes. That's your guys' heaven, right? Correct. That is indeed our heaven. I would say this particular episode isn't just for dog lovers. There are some podcasts out there. I listen to some of them. In which... The respected presenters just talk about cute dogs, and that's fine. But for those people who are not doggy friendly, as it were, yeah, I'm not that big. This I'm aware, yeah. Marsha. You you're quite a good sport, but it, you know I'm good to hear about it because it sounds like a different kind of thing, right? Our chat with Leon is about the triumph of the human endeavor, legitimately, and it's about somebody who has done many, many different things on his journey to being happy in his own skin. And it's a really lovely tale of, of a man who has... A has lovely at tale, one stage, really? He, yes. Okay. I'm glad that you noticed just that. Just checking. I was hoping I, I might no, get away I'm with it. Just checking. For instance, at one stage, Leon, and we don't go into too much detail, we talked mainly off pod about it, he was in a boy band called What's Up. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. All right. For, for reasons I don't know... You can't find a lot about them in the world of YouTube or the interweb. Okay. But that ended up becoming a conduit for all sorts of things in in his life and in his career, including what he's doing now. 
And now he's running this hotel, and he's got new shows coming up that he's doing. Indeed. He starts filming in December. That's right. In Manchester, we talk all about it. And some other potentially exciting television vehicles in addition to that, which we hint at. And if you know your British television, you'll know what we're talking about, despite the fact that no particular show titles or indeed presenters or channels terrestrial or otherwise are mentioned dookie it's just even if you're not into dogs it's just feel good stuff and he's just a wonderful person and he's funny and he's warm and he he's just wonderful and let me tell you what if you get a hug from leon you know you've been hugged and dookie we're four for three because you've had four leon hugs and i've had three leon hugs so i think that i need some catching up to do that said you're going to have ample opportunity to do so because in this very interview and this is evidence if you will i asked on your behalf sylvia yes if leon yes would be willing to be adopted <gasps> as your brother and he said yes <gasps> dookie and also oh he's gonna be my brother he's going to be our brother i added my name to the list dookie duke and this applies to molly as well in terms of the <gasps> Family stakes. Well, how lucky are we? I mean, it, it just doesn't get any luckier. You guys better be careful, though, because uh, Irene's here. I just saw her uh, in the Dookie kitchen. Irene, who kicked off this very yeah. episode with that mantra, with that salutation, affirmation. Yeah, I didn't. She yeah. went out and she came back. She, so she come back. It's quite philosophical. Uh, she's got wind of this Leon. And, uh... Leon, okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. You're talking about Leon. We are. I've been saying him, you know, on the two B-Ubes. Yes. The two B-Ubes on the computer. I've been watching him. Yes. Okay. Is he single? Mm, I don't believe so. He ain't single. Is he with, you know, anyone? I believe so. Ah, well, that's well, that's lucky for his partner, then, isn't it? Yes. Dookie. What are you saying, Irene? Well, I'm saying if I was 50 years younger, Dookie. Right. If I was 50 years younger, I'm telling you, he wouldn't know what hit him. He wouldn't know what hit him, Dookie. Oh, it would be a hit. Ah, he wouldn't know, is he, Dookie? Dookie? Yes. I can't get your feet. Maybe he likes the boys. He is a lover of humanity and dogs. Because, you know, anyone be lucky to have him. Have you seen his muscles? Yes. Lovely. The man has guns. Oh, lovely, Dookie. Isn't he gorgeous? He's gorgeous, I'm telling you. He's aesthetically he's so pleasing and then some. Even me, me Roy, he thinks he's gorgeous too. So your, your husband is besotted oh, with Leon. Oh, thinks he's gorgeous. Dookie, I'm telling you, both of us have lived 50 years younger. I'll tell you, you wouldn't know what hit him. It's you know where me Roy is now? You know where he is, Dookie? Uh, I don't. He's off He's off doing them kettlebell thingies. Oh, he's doing kettlebell training? Yeah, he's trying to build the muscly musclies. I do that on occasion. I need to do more of it. But that's besides the point. Oh, Dookie. You got muscles too, Dookie. I have potential muscles. I like a muscle. I think I'm losing gains just as this interview is <laughs> progressing. Oh, really? We're talking about losing gains now, Dookie? Really? I know the terminology. Uh, Dookie? Yeah. I'm going to go now. 
I'm going there, innit? Why are you going? Because I've told you, my love, for Leon, and you're not doing nothing for me, so I'm going to go. And you told me about your muscles, and you made me come over all tingly tinglys. I'm deeply honoured. Okay, so I'm going to go now. I'm going to go see if me Ross put his back out, because the last time he lifted one of them little thingy thingies with the handle, put his back out, and I had to wait on him for a week, didn't I? I'm really sorry to hear that. Yeah, it wasn't fun, wasn't it, Dookie? No. So I'm leaving. It sounds like he needs to reassess his lifting techniques and possibly start with a lighter bell. Oh, he started with the little, littler one. Well, the little ones are still heavy. I think the problem was he's trying to drink his tea while he was lifting it. Men and multitasking, it's a bit of a hazy area. Yeah, maybe he should be drinking his tea while he's lifting the balls, is he? Yeah, but tea's an You know, like thing. it's the balls with that handle. Well, I hope he's okay this time round. Irene, thanks for popping in. Thank you, DK, I, with your messo. I will let Leon know about the respective love that you and your long-suffering husband, Roy, have for Mr Towers. Now you do that, DK. Okay, I'm saying you late. I'm going out there. Okay, bye. And here's Leon Towers. Hi there, my name is Leon Towers, and my favourite word is... Oh, hi. Oh, hi. <laughs> That's a word that you said a great deal in the dog use soap. Yes. The, the dog hotel. Yeah. Which and is where I first came across your good self. I don't even know where it actually comes from. I when mean, something good happens, I go, oh, I can't <laughs> believe that happened. I mean, so is this something that you say on a regular basis because good things happen to you? All the time. Right. I say it all the time. It cheers people up when you say it. And people actually start saying it. Which is a good thing. The amount of people that say that word now is quite weird. It's become the quotable quote for your good yes, self. Yes, that's my, that's my quote word, yeah. And also, through the book of face, I understand that you've got an incredible reason to say, all right, which is a new arrival. Yes, I'm going to be a dad again for the first time after 21 years. You are a grandparent as well. Twice. When I think of grandparents, I think of Captain Birdseye. You are the total opposite of that. I know. And do you know what? I love going to pick my uh, granddad. I love to to go and pick my grandson up from school and all the parents are looking. They're like, oh, are you Leon's dad? Because he's Leon Jr. Mm. Such a cool name. And um, I'm like, no, I'm his grandfather, actually. (laughs) And I love it. I say it with such pride. I mean, were you eight years old when you became a father? You do not look old enough, even remotely, close we, to being a If we take away the Botox, I, I would probably look my age. No, I'm joking. I'm 42, um, and I had my daughter when I was 18, and my son when I was 19. So then I was 23 and 21. And my daughter, which is a separate story on its own, she didn't know she was pregnant. And literally, she found out three days before, and then she had my grandson. So that was a big dra- there's always a drama. Whenever there's some life thing happening, it's always dramatic. EastEnders has got nothing on you. Nothing. I can at, show them a thing or two. And you started life in the heart of Cumbria. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. And how long were you up there before the South Coast welcomed was, you? I was actually there until my ex-wife decided to move to Scotland with her new partner and my children, um, which was an exciting time for everyone. Um, and that, that was the reason I left that area. I would never have left. I'd still be there now because I had my children from Friday to Monday and that was a big part of my life. Mm. Um, and then I studied uh, to do a degree in theatre and filmmaking. And that's why I moved down to London because I had an agent. That's what brought me down here mm, nearly 12 years ago. Mm. And I came down here and I didn't do any acting or performing. It all just kind of, 
Yeah, it all kind of turned around. I ended up fostering children. Right, and I understand that's uh, something very close to your heart because yes. you were part of that system. Yeah, I was, I was in care from six-month-old to 16, which is really young. They've upped the age now, mm. um, but yeah, then it was 16. So it's always been close to my heart, and I just wanted to help other children um, that have been in similar kind of circumstances. Mm. Um, yeah, so I did that for four years, had 12 children, all mixture of ages from one up to 15 over the four years until they moved on to their adoptive parents. And how was that? What were the, the homes that you were placed in like? That I was placed mm. in? Um, quite horrific. We're not going to spoil this interview by going <laughs> into it. Uh, but yeah, it, it was horrible. I, I had the worst childhood ever. But what I say to people is, um, you know, everybody says, oh, I did this when I was a kid, I did that. And they'll always say, oh, I thought my childhood was bad until I heard yours. Mm. But what I say to everybody is, it's what's relative to you. You know, just because it sounds worse, it doesn't mean it wasn't any worse for you in your situation. Does that make sense? No, no, absolutely. It's, It's relative to you, how you coped in the situation you were in. I mean, there isn't a competition in terms of, no. of the blues and what people no. experienced it's in what that you've arena. experienced and, and how it affected you and how you deal with it. So everybody, everybody's got a story to tell. I mean, the one thing I pick up from yourself and, and hearing you talk about your upbringing is that as an adult, you wanted to remedy the issues that you had by then providing a loving, supportive home to yeah. children that you then fostered. Yeah. So you turned it around on itself. And yeah, but the, the problem with that is it comes in two parts. While you're trying to fix other children with what's happened to them, you kind of don't realise that you've not fixed yourself, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You can't fix yourself through somebody else. Um, so I had to face a lot of demons when, when I was doing the fostering, but I don't regret it one single bit. It, it was the most amazing time of my life. It really, really was. The one thing I've noticed about your life and your career to date, Mm -hmm. and I have seen your CV through LinkedIn. (laughs) Oh, have you? (laughs) It's all out there. Oh my God, I've not logged into, I don't even know my login details for that. I've hacked into it, I'll give them to you later. (laughs) I haven't, but um, the one thing I've noticed, that's an arc in your life, and it isn't just a bark arc, is care. You, as a foster parent, were providing support and care to children in need. Mm-hmm. At the House of Hugo, you're doing that very same thing with animals. With animals. And, and then quite intensively with one-to-one behavioural yes. work with dogs. Yep. And in many cases, and from the, the sounds of it, you're dealing with dogs that are kind of quote-unquote you know, problem dogs. Yeah and trying to to help them to acclimatise to whatever issues they may have uh, been faced with in the past and to um, be able to bond in a way that's more acceptable with with humans. Yeah, and interestingly, um, I've had clients recently where I've sent the clients on for therapy as well. There's been situations where when you go in and dig a little bit, Uh, to find out what's going on because I prefer to do a home visit. When I go to the house, I can see what's going on, what they're doing because it takes somebody to come in and just point something out quite simple that if you're living in it, you don't see it. But somebody else coming in and saying, why do you do this? And it's affecting the dog's behavior, but they don't even realize that they're doing it. Tiny, tiny little things. It, It just changes the whole aspect of the situation. And a couple of weeks ago, I had a client who hasn't actually, she... She got this dog um, 
of somebody who was going to put it into a, into a dog home. So she said, I'll, t- I'll take the dog. And because she'd never had a dog before, she never experienced it, she hasn't got children, she became very motherly of the dog, naturally at all. Um, however, she was scared to leave this dog. She, didn't, she basically gave up her life. She stopped going out shopping. She used to have date night with her husband, and they stopped doing that, and she broke down. You know, I went to see about the dog's behavior, and she broke down, and she was broken because she'd kind of given up on her relationship with her husband. That's how it affected it, you know? Mm. And for me to go in there, I felt really, really honored to be able to help because I've got the center here, I've got the hotel, I've got the daycare, I do the behavior, I've got the swimming. I was able to take that dog and say, give him to me once a week, come in for daycare, stay in the hotel and pick him up at six o'clock the next day. And that just transported her and her husband's lives. It's literally turned it around. And you wouldn't normally get that when you're going in to deal with a dog. It's, it's so, there's so many aspects of it and it's, it's all linked together. It's the client, it's the home, it's the dog. It's looking at the whole situation like you do with foster children. You can't just say, oh, that child's naughty. Well, why? Why are they behaving like that? Mm. So it, it's, I just love it. I soak it up like a sponge. I love it. And from the sounds of it, the conduit, the part of your life where you discover this bond and kinship with, with dogs and being able to help dogs came via a meeting with an elderly Jack Russell and you were doing hydrotherapy. Hydrotherapy is what it is. Yeah. Not everyone is going to have the opportunity to do no. that. How did you stumble across it? It happened by accident. I mean, other than the fostering, which I don't class as a job, I class it as uh, helping children. I've, ne- I've never been comfortable calling it a career or a job. Um, any job I had, I was just never satisfied. And there was always something missing. Um, and opening this center kind of happened by accident, to be honest. And um, it wasn't my dream. Because I wasn't a behaviorist, I didn't get the whole pack concept thing. I do now, because after six years, I've learned so much and through experience so much. I was watching a documentary on hydrotherapy, and I was sitting watching it, never seen a dog in a pool before. I didn't even know they did hydrotherapy for dogs. And I was shocked that there's no legislation, even to this date, um, that stops somebody from opening a swimming pool in the back garden or in a shed. And they can call themselves a hydrotherapist and they can have clients, um, dogs who have severe spinal injuries and one wrong move could paralyze them for life. And I was, I was shocked. I thought, oh my God, how, how can somebody do that? How can they be put in that situation where it's actually going to make it worse? So from then, because I wasn't academic at school, yes, I did my degree in acting, but that was because it, was, um, it wasn't academic. I didn't have to do lots of essays and lots of writing. It was all doing, if that makes sense. Mm. And with the hydrotherapy, it, it's the first subject that I studied that just soaked in like a sponge. I didn't even know like the name of the bones in a dog. And literally in the space of a week, I knew every single bone in the structure of a dog, all the muscles, all the operations, pre-op, post-op, everything, all, all these words and all these things. That I just, I was shocked that I was taking it in. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and it, I didn't even step back to think and look. And then when I was doing my practical, um, we had a a water treadmill that dogs have to go into, they close it and the water rises depending on what they need to do and then the treadmill starts moving. Um, So it takes pressure off the joints because of the water. And I had to get inside and there was this whippet 
and I had to put my hands on his back legs and see, I'm welling up already. It was the most amazing experience. Um, put my hands on his legs and move his legs to help him walk. And, and that was it. I was just like, oh my God. You're making a difference and it's tangible. And you yeah, can... and I just, something just clicked. I was like, it, it, the most amazing experience in my life. And I'll, I'll never, ever, ever forget that moment because from that moment on, I knew that's what I would do for the rest of my life. And did that happen here in, in Brighton? It happened in Guildford. In Guildford? Yeah. So I had um, intensive 10 days of exams. So, you know, one day it was spinal conditions because that's what I, sp- I specialise in um, rehabilitating dogs with spinal injuries mm. um, because I went on further to do more... Um, God, what's More qualifications. That's the word I was looking for. And... Again, I never thought I'd get to that level. So I'm one of the most highest qualified in hydrotherapy in the UK. And it all happened by chance from the sound of it. By chance, completely. You you stumbled into it. It was meant to be destiny. If somebody had said to me two months earlier, oh, you're going to be swimming dogs for a career, I would have, honestly, it came from nowhere, absolutely nowhere. And how long ago did this happen? When did you first stumble into it? When did you do the course in Guildford? Seven years. And because I learned it so quickly, you had two years to do the studying part. I I literally learned it all in six months. All of it, everything. And then I was able to put in for my exam. So I had to go to Guildford and it was a 10-day block exam of each condition. Um, Yeah, basically. And I just did an exam every single day for 10 days. In that time, that's where my grandson was born. A chance meeting and a, a chance experience leading to what you're doing today and yeah. a, a life-changing experience. And to still get in that pool and genuinely, wholeheartedly, from the bottom of my heart, say, I love my job. I absolutely love it. And there's never a day you go into that pool, I, I can't even explain it. You get into it and it's like you're doing it for the first time again. Mm-hmm. You know, you do a job and it's repetitive because it is. You know, I'll have 16 clients a day coming in, chatting to the clients, one after the other, 16 dogs... But you're helping to fix 16 lives a day. That's how it feels like to me. And when you're sitting talking to the clients, you're maybe the only person they have to talk to while you're dealing with the dog. I've got clients that still come after six years. The dog's fixed and they bring it for fitness, just for a bit of fun because the dog loves it. The client loves coming to chat. And yeah, that's how it is. 50% of my clients are original clients from six years ago. And in many cases where a dog has to undergo hydrotherapy yeah it's a bit of a crossroads in terms of the the dog's health you know in many cases with particular spinal injuries it's last chance saloon it is last chance saloon and you know what there's there's so many um stories where the vets have told them to to put the dog to sleep Mm. and they've researched and They've found hydrotherapy and seen what the advantages are and they've brought the dog for hydrotherapy and they've made a full recovery. So that dog would have been put to sleep for nothing. And it hasn't just happened once. It, I'd say it's happened about 115 times. In Three six, digits. In six years. In six years. Yeah. And this is where vets have They were said, written off. Written off completely. And you've seen these dogs not, not only become stronger, but actually you use the word fit, where yes, and I they're look, thriving instead of just yeah, surviving. And I would never lie to a client. Um, as hard as it is, you face situations where you have, to be, you have to be truthful. You know, it's their dog, and also for the dog. I, I don't want a dog to carry on living for the sake of the owner. I want the dog to have um, a good life. 
You know, if they're still wagging the tail, they're still eating, they still enjoy life, then that's a life. Uh, if they're in pain, they're in agony, and there's no way, even after intensified with therapy, that you can rehabilitate that dog, then it's not fair to do it. Yeah. I would rather just tell the person, look, this is going to do this. They'll be happy while they're swimming, but when they're out of the pool for the rest of the time, they're going to be miserable, they're going to be sore, they're going to be high on um, antibiotics and drugs and painkillers. It, it's, not, it's not fair. And you can see it in the dog's eyes. When they come in, you can see it. And that, that gets you as well, crying like a well, indeed. box today. Um, <laughs> Got any tissues? It must be so rewarding when you're, you're faced with a situation where the, the owners are in that last chance saloon headspace and they've got the vet's comments in their head of, yeah. you know, listen, the, the right thing to do is to put the dog yeah. down. And then they, they meet yourself and suddenly positivity and, yeah, and it's a not, ray of light. I'd never give false hope. I will tell them how it is. But if I see a dog and the vet has said, no way. Well, for instance, um, on the Dog Hotel, there was an episode um, with the, the little Jack Russell, the black, I'm saying little, who was quite huge. He mm. was 20 kilos and he should have been 10. Yes. And he damaged his cruciate ligaments, the ligaments in his knees. And rightly so, the vet did say, we cannot do surgery because she had to lift him everywhere. She, he couldn't stand up. His back legs were completely done. And even after surgery, he still wouldn't have been able to walk. The muscles would never have grown and he would have just rotted away. And he'd have had the most miserable, painful life you could ever imagine. And thank God she brought him in that day. And thank God the cameras were there. That was complete fluke. She just came in for... A video. She wanted to video the dog having a swim so that she could um, look back at it when she'd put him to sleep. And that's the only reason that dog came in, Alfie. And I just, I took the dog. I knew I could help because uh, the hydrotherapy is non-weight bearing. So how it works is they're able to kick the legs in the water because there's no pressure on the joints, but they can't walk when they're on ground. Mm. So for as long as they're kicking, you're going to build the muscle. And actually, it was a miracle what happened to him. He, um, I just said, can you give me your dog for six weeks? I know you're putting a lot of trust in me, but you've just been told he's getting put to sleep. I don't think it's the end of the road for him. Other than his legs and his weight, he's a, fit do he's a healthy dog. You know, mm. his mind's all still there. He, he wants to enjoy life. And he just had that dead look in his eyes. And we kept him for six weeks. And I, I just saw on that, um, on that episode, he... In a space of six weeks, he went from 20 kilos to 10 kilos. And he was, oh my God, he was bouncing around. He was able to go in the daycare and he didn't need surgery in the end because all of the weight was lifted off. I remember that episode well and uh, the dog returns to the vet. Yeah. And the vet is... Yeah, he was shocked. He thought yeah. it was a different dog. And it, it, it looked like a different dog because that dead look in his eyes, each week he was progressing. His eyes were getting brighter and brighter and brighter. And that's, that's the first thing people noticed, like all the staff. You know, he was here for six weeks. We were all attached to him. And he, he just changed into a completely different dog. And he would have been written off. That's a wonderful episode. Although I think the, the severity of a situation was played down a little bit. I don't... It was played yeah, down. It was just a bit like, oh, this dog's a bit unfit. Yes. Let, let's see what the lads can do yes. in six weeks. Yeah. But actually, it was a heartwarming, heart-wrenching story mm. if you look deep into what was actually going on without the bubblegum. Prior to the, the dog use soap, you worked in a, a boutique hotel, I understand, for two or three years yeah. as a deputy manager. Yeah. Um, so you went from you know, kind of five-star accommodation for humans <laughs> to the far more superior five-star accommodation yeah. for dogs. I've always liked 
I've always appreciated nice things, colours, wallpaper, the feel of and texture of fabrics, and I've just always loved that opulent look. Yeah. My favourite hotel um, is in Edinburgh called The Witchery, and it just... I can't even explain how opulent it is. You, you touch the walls thinking it's wallpaper, and it's actually cushioned walls. It's material. And I just love being able to walk into a room and going, oh, my God. And I've never been able to do that in a doggy place. Um, so, yeah, that's where the inspiration came from. For listeners who have not been able to have seen the glories of the, the dog hotel... Five star is no exaggeration. You've got memory foam mattresses, yep, themed rooms, TVs, televisions, roll down service. Ultimately, the the digs for the dogs, and I've seen all of the rooms are nicer than most of the flats that my friends call home. Yeah, when owners come to drop them off and they look at the hotel room for the first time, they're like, "We're this is wrong. We're going to stay." <laughs> in a dodgy hotel, two, three star, and uh, staying in this place. It's nicer than the place they're going to. And prior to being a deputy manager for a boutique hotel, you also had a stint in children's television yeah. in the early noughties on a programme called the Nitty Gritty Nitty Club. Nitty Gritty Club. What did you oh, do for that? Were you a, a Again, presenter? or It was pure fluke. Um, I was in a boy band... I was just going to ask about that. Do you know so, about that? I was waiting to see if you dug that up as well, if you knew about that. I was in a boy band, and when we separated, um, I got asked to do panto. So it's the first panto I'd ever done. I'd never done any acting. It was prior to going to acting school, which is what drew me to the acting school. And I got the part, and we were filming. Uh, sorry, we were doing a dress rehearsal, and unbeknown to me, ITV were watching the dress rehearsal. And again, by complete chance it was my scene that they were watching i didn't even know whether they're there until i got a phone call the next day and they said oh hi we were watching you on uh, the panto doing your rehearsals yesterday and we're starting a new kids tv program called the nitty and gritty club it's introducing pop pop videos and reading out birthday cards um, we'd like you to come for a screen test and me being me and i was like what's a screen test because i didn't have a clue mm. um and i went to the itv studios the next day and it was like made out like this little rabbit hutch, so it was like all bright and grass and carrots, and it was it was fab. And they said, right, we just want you to go into the booth, and we just want you to pick the birthday cards up and start reading them out, and see how energetic you are. Well, that was like a bull to the red flag. I was like, hi guys, <laughs> and I just switched it on, and I thought, oh, I really like this. And needless to say, I got I got the job. And that planted the, the television bug in your system. Yeah, Even though it wouldn't be realised for another yeah, it kind of decade went. and I a half. Yeah, I kind of turned my back on it and it came back to me. Mm. It's, it's such a weird feeling. But it's only when I did that, I thought I'd like to progress with this. Um, as I say, I did the panto. It's a bit of tongue-in-cheek, it's a bit of a laugh. But I wanted to do serious acting. Um, and funnily enough, I always got... Always got cast as the Prince or Dandini or, I don't know, Porridge Orts Man that I did in Edinburgh at the King's Theatre one year. Um, I did lots of theatre in Glasgow and Edinburgh while I was studying up there. And I thought, God, why do I keep getting cast these parts? I want to be nasty. 
I'd like to, like, delve deep. You want to be a meanie? Yeah. Then all of a sudden it all switched around and I ended up getting all these psycho parts. And I just <laughs> loved it. I absolutely <laughs> loved it. So you got what you wanted. Had you changed your look or did it come from within? This was the thing. It came from within. And the problem was I was never getting cast into nasty, evil people because I don't look like a nasty, evil person. Quite the opposite. And that's what was always going against me. Um, and when I signed with a, a top agent in London, I was coming backwards and forwards, literally flying every other day. It was ridiculous. I didn't have any money. I was working full-time in a coffee shop. I was working full-time doing the theatre and flying to London to do um, auditions. I auditioned for Billy Elliot, not the boy, obviously, because <laughs> I was about 35 by this point. It was to play the brother. <laughs> and I auditioned to play Kanicki. And these were both big West End shows. Um, shortlisted for Hollyoaks. I did a couple of episodes of Tagger. I did a couple of episodes of the Scottish Soap River City. Mm. Um, a couple of commercials. Did you have to do Tagger in a, with a Scottish accent? What are you talking about? Yeah. C- can you say murder? Hey, there's been a murder. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad. Not so, bad. anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of scared now. Yeah. Was that a dream that kept on being at the forefront of your life, it, even when the boutique hotel for humans... It did. And ...was that, your main source of income? That was the crossroads I came to where I had to make a decision because you either go for it wholeheartedly, it's all very well getting commercials that are really well paid, but if it's the only job you get in a year, it's mm-hmm. not really a year's salary. You know, it's it's a about bonus. the work. Yes. So that's why I came down here. Um, and I was out of work for a while because I came down here to do my acting and I just wasn't getting any auditions, which was better for me. I'd rather not get the audition than go for the audition and not get it. Yes. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's better never... to be out of the food yes, chain than exactly. to nearly, nearly have it like a yes. carrot dangling. Just there, but it's not quite. It's nearly there. Riches can yeah. soon be yours, Leon. So I, yeah. um, I decided randomly <laughs> to sit and write a book. So every... As one does. Yeah. I'd always wanted to write one um, about childhood stuff and I never got round to it because, like I say, I wasn't academic. I thought, how do you just write a book? So it was when there was a really hot summer in Brighton, 11, 12 years ago, where it was freak weather. It was like 120 degrees from May right through to nearly the end of September. And that's when I moved here. I was on the phone to people saying, oh, God, I feel like I'm in Spain. Every day on the beach, not having a job. So I just sunbathed all the time. Ended up looking like Dickinson's real deal. <laughs> and um, every day I went down to this cafe on the beachfront and I, I gave myself a, a thing of having to do 20 pages a day. So I just sat on a laptop and I never pre-wrote anything, never pre-planned. The, the book itself is, it only covers a six weeks period um, with flashbacks mm. uh, going back to, to five, six-year-old. And I thought, I'll go there, I'll write 20 pages a day, and then that's it. Didn't know how long it was going to be, didn't know how it was going to end, and I just wrote it. There's no chapters, you know, I didn't know how to put it into chapters, it's just got a flow. And people that have read it, there's 220-odd pages. Any person has never took longer than three days to read it, because there is no chapters, you can't put it down, because it, it just keeps flowing. And you're like, you're just about to get to a bit and then you think, oh God, I need to carry on reading. And is this a, a, a work of fiction? Is it autobiographical, semi-autobiographical? Sell it to me. It's a book that is very raw in emotions and it's very truthful. Um, 
some of the stuff in there, I've not read the book myself since I've written it because there's bits in there I was kind of doing self-therapy. As I was writing it, it was coming out of my head that I didn't even know was there, if that makes sense. Mm. It just it just flowed out. Um, and I never wrote it to have it published. I showed it to somebody on, on the laptop and they said, can you print it off for me? So I did. And unbeknown to me, they sent it off to a publisher and it got published. And I was like, wow, I've just published a book. <laughs> so... Thanks to unemployment, hot yeah. weather, and a realistic schedule to adhere to in terms of yeah. your creative work, yeah. you got published. Yeah, I would never have had that time. And if somebody had said, write me a book about yourself and we'll uh, try and get it published, I would, I would never have done it. Mm. Because I didn't write it for that. And that, that's, that's a weird thing. Things happen to me because they happen, not because they're planned. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense, particularly having just heard how you stumbled into the the world of hydrotherapy. And what is the title of the book? And just so people, our listeners, can find out about it and buy a copy. Yeah. So I will warn you now, it's not bedtime reading. Um, If you get upset easily, I would not read it whatsoever. It's on par with, um, I don't know if you know David Peltzer, A Child Called It. Yes. So we've got very Mm. similar stories. Um, so it's called Leon, A Lost Childhood, and it's written under my um, foster surname, Leon Henderson. And yeah, if you go on Amazon, there's lots of reviews on there. You can read the synopsis and decide then if you want to get it or not. By reading the synopsis, you will know if you want to read any further. And have any family members or friends from your past approached you about the book and given their reactions to it? I've had lots of reactions. I've had lots of reactions from the foster carer's family who obviously read this book and realised there was lots of things going on that they didn't know about. Oh. And I still speak to all of them, so that kind of speaks for itself. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. It must have been an emotional experience writing it. And let's face it... The prospect of being published is a, a dream that every writer has, and you, yeah, you, you achieve even, that very yeah. quickly. But then there's, I suppose, a bit of fallout from it in, in a way where your, your past is in contact with you again. Yeah. In, in a way, you had a, a past ahead of you. Yeah, I think, I think for me, because when people read it now, I feel differently than I did then. But I will always say, um, with the up-and-coming TV show I'm doing... I will use that to bring awareness about um, male child abuse. Mm. You know, because it's such a still a taboo subject. Uh, one of the big, big tabloid newspapers, which I probably shouldn't mention the name. Can I mention the name? You can certainly mention them. So the Daily Express right. um, had an interest in serialising the book. They were going to put um, bits in it each week um, for you know to promote the book. And then at the last minute, they decided that it wasn't suitable. If it was a female, they would have published it. But because it was a male, it was still too taboo. Really? And that's, that's what happened. So if it was Leona... Oh, if it was Leona, yeah. Should have been right A girl's out there. tale. Yeah, but no. And that really made me angry. And it, well, not angry, it made me determined. Because I believe in people getting... Fairness, whatever, wherever you're from, whatever walk of life, I don't care whether you're from the streets or you're a multimillionaire. If something's unjust, I will speak up about it. And it's not me being opinionated, it's not me being leery. 
I just like to make sure that everybody is trapped fairly. And I will use um, my new status next year to promote things to do with that, definitely. And when you say new status, please elaborate. So, um, I've got a... It's exciting. I've got a new television series. Um, there isn't even a working title, actually. Uh, start filming on the 4th of December. It's a 20-part series where... For the first time, I'm doing a job as a behaviourist on television. Right. So this is my, this is my, yeah. Is it one of those Joe Bloggs as a problem dog? Let's see how Leon deals with it. Yeah, and do you know what? We did a trailer for it, and I'm sure they tried to con me by not telling me what was wrong with the dogs. They told me nothing. We went in the studio, they started filming, and they said, right, Leon, we've got three clients for you this morning, and that's all we're going to say. So the client's dogs came in, bearing in mind I hadn't long been uh, qualified as a dog behaviourist. And you're nervous because there's situations you come across even after six years that you've never come across before. And this lady walked in with a dog brush in her hand and immediately I was like, why is she carrying a dog brush? I just couldn't understand why. And my head was got, my brain was ping, ping, ping. What's she doing? What's she doing? What does she want? And it just flowed. I, I shocked myself, actually, and they thought afterwards we'd rehearsed it, but they knew we hadn't mm. because they were keeping it under lock and key. She brought this dog in, and she said... I asked her what the problem was. She says, when I try and brush the dog, this is what it does. So she started brushing the dog's hair, and it literally took chunks out of her hand. Fair play Ouch. to her. She's been doing it for three years. I would have given up long ago. Masochist. I would probably have a stump. There's no way. <laughs> it took a chunk out of her hand. Oh, dear. And I thought, right, think, Leon, think. And you have to think on your feet. You can't verbalise it. You, your brain's just swirling. And I thought, let's use a clicker. It's ah. like magic in the dog world. So I said, right, this is what we're going to do. So we sat the dog on the table. She showed me when she brushes it, it rips her hand off. And they filmed all that. And I said, we're going to desensitise the dog. We're going to turn a negative situation into a positive one. And I put the brush down by the dog, used a clicker, gave her a treat. Click, treat, click, treat, click, treat, moving it a centimetre further. Then I had it in my hand and I let her sniff it, did the click treat. And then this is all in the space of two and a half minutes. It sounds like a half hour episode, but it wasn't. I brushed the dog and she let me. Positive reinforcement. Positive reinforcement. I only ever use positive reinforcement. It's about any situation for a dog to be in, I want to create a happy memory. And this poor woman, and it must have been horrible for the dog as well. Yeah, exactly. It's creating agitation. And And really, it shouldn't have been still being tried to be brushed after three years because it would be traumatised. The one thing that's going through my head right now is that you're going to be filming... (laughs) this new series yep. in roughly five weeks' time, yep. and you, you don't know what the title is. Yeah. Are they keeping well, it from you? The Dog Hotel we didn't know until three weeks before. Really? Yeah. People are like, what's it called? What's it called? When's it on? I was like, well, give me a chance to film it. It's going to be a wonderful show. Yes. You're going to love it. What's it called? I don't know. It's something about dogs. Yeah, it's something about dogs. <laughs> And uh, how many episodes are you contracted to? Do you know yet? I'm contracted with, do I say a major broadcaster? One of the five channels, let's say. One of the five terrestrial channels. One of the five terrestrial channels, and I'm contracted with them until December next year. Right. So a one-year contract to produce as many episodes during that time? We're looking at... 
four series four series deal so it's big it's the biggest thing i've ever 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 done in my entire life and i can't actually believe it's happening congratulations contract and it's weird and that particular program is just going to be about behavior issues and i suppose it's carrying on the tradition of programs like doggy borstal yeah but with this i came on set and i had a t-shirt on obviously i've got lots of tattoos now which i didn't have in the dog hotel because mm. i literally tattooed myself from my neck down to my torso over the space of four months in fact i want to ask about that okay in the doggy soap i love samer i'm yeah. so sorry in the doggy soap the um, doggy hotel you resembled a cool kind of indie front man and then now you look like a Viking Norwegian heavy metal god. That is a yeah, transformation. It is. And from the sounds of it, the tattoos in particular um, all took place in, did I hear you correctly, four a four month period. Yeah. And you have significant six, ink. Six eight hour sittings. My word. I don't like things unfinished. And when you see someone with half a sleeve, it just looks messy. So I thought I just want the whole arm done now. So how did you go from cute indie coolness to <laughs> Thor, the uh, Viking? Because I think, for me, I've, what's it, not the word progressed, I've flourished. I don't know what the word is. I've grown as a person and realised lots about myself that, I, I, yeah, I didn't realise. And the beard, I love the beard. It was really traumatic. You look great. You are rocking the look. It was really, really traumatic. And even talking about now, I sound really pathetic, but it was, <laughs> to me, it was awful. Um, we did the Dog Hotel, and then we got asked by the BBC to do some children's snippets for children's BBC called Animal Tastic, uh, which is still on the website, the BBC website. And because they didn't um, film any new footage, we did the interviews, so we had to look like we were when we were on the Dog Hotel. But I'd grown a beard by then. And it was my 40th birthday. I couldn't get anybody, no one could get time off work to come with me to celebrate my birthday. I thought, what do I want to do for my 40th? And in the end, I ended up um, ringing one of my ex-partners from years ago, who we're still friends with. And we flew over to Paris and watched Moulin Rouge. I had this beard. And they called me while I was there and said, the beard needs to go and we start filming the day after tomorrow. Right. So I had to go into a barbershop in Paris and I said take it off Ooh la and we're la. talking a big beard we're not talking a bit of what's it called uh, a goatee or yes. a little bit of yeah. just fuzz yes what the Yanks we're talking call a full-on carpet on your face mm. so I, I went in there and I said take it off and do you know what I started crying not like bah! but the tears trickled I felt like this new me after the dog hotel was who I am on the inside, this is how I feel on the inside, mm. is outside. And I felt like that was being taken away, and it was horrible. It's as though your newfound confidence... Yeah, it, newfound confidence. ...was being subsumed Stripped. into what the... Stripped back to the producers what I was wanted. doing for the TV show. And, yeah, it, really, it upset me. It surprised me how much it upset me. So after I filmed that, I swore... This is who I am. This is what I'm doing. And this is, that's when I started getting all the tattoos. Mm. And I thought, if I never work in TV again, that's not a problem because I, I feel on the outside how I feel on the inside. It gives me confidence. It makes me feel good about myself. 
I don't look at myself twice in the mirror. I just get ready and I go out. I don't think about how I look because I'm happy with this, this new look. And thank God, this new television series, it's a bit funny at the time, um, I said to them, what do you want me to wear? What, um, how do you want me to be? Do you want me to be confrontational? Do you want me to be... Because you never know what they're looking for. And I said, we just want you to be yourself. And do us a favour, when you come in for filming the trailer, wear a T-shirt with a low neckline so we can see all of those beautiful tattoos. And I was like... Redemption, vindication, oh, motherfucker. Oh, it gets better than that. <laughs> so I turn up in this low-cut T-shirt and they just stopped filming this scene and they said, Liam, where's your vest? We need to see more. <laughs> I was like, nice. could, this, could this get any better? <laughs> and then I've got two vets on my panel um, in the TV show, so there's three of us. They walk on set... And lo and behold, they've got these beautiful little vet costumes on with the pinifers, whatever you call them. And they both had stethoscopes around the necks. And I actually said, can we stop filming a minute? I was just like, stop! Who am I? The, the northern vet? The northern ghetto vet? These are dressed like this and I'm like this. And I said, that's how this works. Right. So and you're, it does. Bring it on. I can't wait for this. It's, it's really the program to informative. It's really interesting. It's not... I still have my own personality. I'm still allowed to be who I am. Mm. But being on that as that, um, in the Dog Hotel, it was more bubblegum, candy-flossy kind of stuff um, that would tailor everybody's needs. This is the first time doing a TV series that I feel I'm able to show off as a professional. You know, I'm, I'm now a qualified nutritionist and now a qualified behaviorist, and obviously I, I did the hydrotherapy anyway. And this is me being able to be myself, professional, interesting, funny, and it, and it works. And it, it just gives me so much confidence being able to be myself. Congratulations. I think you've worked really hard on your career, on yourself, and... In terms of your newfound confidence, which you know oozes in your new look, you found the right vehicle. Synergy. It's yes. all falling into place, yes. Leon, which is a that, it is, wonderful I, thing. I'm seeing it as it goes along. I'm not a person that looks for a destination. I never have. People say, what, what is your ideal life? What is your ideal spot? I don't have one. I get more of a buzz from experiences. Mm -hmm. Anything that happens... And things happen, and I think, why is that happening? Like, when I did the kids' TV presenting for ITV, at the time, when it ended and I didn't get any work for ages, I thought, why did that happen? Why put somebody in that situation, and then it stops as quickly as it came? And then, lo and behold, here we are. Swings, roundabouts, destiny, and it's as though there's a divine purpose for you yes. on this planet, Leon. My great-grandparents were Roman gypsies. <laughs> What more can I say? <laughs> Indeed. And if anybody crosses you, they will have the gypsy curse put upon them. <laughs> Talking of, of shirts, yeah. one thing that I remember from uh, oh the Dog God. Hotel is in the majority of the, the scenes where you and Matthew were talking about various scenes and setting stuff up, yeah. the logo of a House of Hugo on both of your respective shirts was always blurred out. Yeah. What the... And do you know what? Hell? Whenever they did a front shot of the building, which was loads of times, yes. it had like a 10-foot sign, House of Hugo. Mm. But because it was the logo on our T-shirts, they had to take it out because they said it was advertising the company. 
even though you mention House of Hugo about you know a and dozen times in every episode, toy, all of the all of the merchandise, the paw cream, the teddies, the paw de home and paw de femme, all House of Hugo branded. The t-shirts needed to be blurred out. Oh, fair enough. Well, it's it's a good thing I didn't notice. Um, <laughs> One person who I remember from that programme very, very well, and she, in a way, is like a sexy Cruella de Vil, only with some dog love instead of dog hate. And that is the legend that is... Gina Citroni. Gina Citroni. Is she going to be involved in any way in your future projects? Do you know what? She's more involved in my personal life with very, very good friends. And she has helped me, supported me in the business as well. She's, well, yeah, she is a business genius. I've Googled her. She is a force to be reckoned <laughs> with. And is. in a very male-dominated yes. world, has kicked ass, to yeah. put it bluntly. Yeah. And on the programme, you know, she plays up to the cameras. Yeah. And you could tell that there's an element of amplified personalities and, and that she was, you know, doing it to shall we say, make the plots progress. But you are close yes. away from the cameras. and yeah, very, cl- very close. And, uh, but that's progressed since the Dog Hotel. We've right. often close, but we've got to know each other so much more. And I can just, again, I can be myself. I like being able to be myself because for so many years I wasn't. Right. And it's just, it's just so lovely being able to be yourself. And funnily enough, we have the same personalities. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. On the programme, you wouldn't think that. It was very much like you were going to be chalk and cheese. I'll tell you something really funny about that episode. (laughs) So before we went in to film, in the meeting, um, they didn't brief Gina. They just said, I'm bringing the boys in to do a meeting. We'll film it. But what they said to me was, when you go in there, look bored. Ah. Well, I took it to another level, didn't I? (laughs) So I'm looking like I'm filing my nails, scrolling my eyes up, tutting, sighing. Well, she didn't know. And ah. obviously I'd never done that before because it's really rude. <laughs> so when we finished filming, we came out and she went, what the fuck is wrong with you today, Leon? You are so rude. And I was like, oh my God, Gina, they made me do it. It wasn't me. They told me to do it. And then she realised it was all, yeah, she ah, wasn't right. happy. <laughs> so the producers, in a way, were pulling the strings a little bit, cheating like were. puppets, right? With that they were. And, I mean, the interaction that you and Matt had with the dogs and with the customers that all seems very heartfelt and, and it genuine is, it is um customers that come here i ask them how the day was i ask them what they're doing i forget that not everybody likes the jobs they do so i say oh how how's your day been work work because i because i love my work i don't yeah so i've <laughs> kind of stopped saying it in that way now because i feel like i'm gloating um, but yeah it's real it is it's like a community mm. and it's lovely and we know all the dogs and we know all the owners and yeah, uh, a lot of my clients have become friends because we get that close, you know, and that, that is real. Um, with the, the, the Dog Hotel, because we only had a 10-week time frame to film it all, all of the scenarios you see are real, but they had to be set up to happen, if that makes sense. Right, it, it does. Each episode, you know, like going to the Dog's Trust and doing the doggy ice cream and doing the swimming, it, all that had to be planned in advance. Like the dog with Collie Wobbles who needed the yeah. makeover from Colin Taylor. Yeah, and she did. She did need that. <laughs> and we just had to, you have to push things along and fit it into a, an episode. Leon, I have to address the elephant in the room. There's an elephant in the room. I'm going to acknowledge it. Okay. And if I cause offence, oh we can move on. 
There were two, now there is merely one. Dog Hotel, I remember it as being a show which featured both yourself and Matt. And it appears as though Matt is no longer involved with House of Hugo, and he's moved on to carve quite a, a career in the world of Mr. Um, gay, gay Europe, Europe, I believe, yeah. And Mr. Gay UK as well. You've parted company. Is it yeah. on good terms? What, what happened? It, it wasn't on good terms. Um, but you know what? I'm really happy for him, and I'm really happy for what he's achieved in his personal life. To become Mr. Gay Europe, he's had to work really hard, and good on him. It, that's, that's what makes him happy. That's, that's the path he's chosen for me. Unbelievably, from starting as a hydrotherapist six years ago, I've become a dog behaviourist, and it has, it has just completely transformed my life. It's just made me more into doing all this stuff. It's, mm. It just makes me more driven to do it. You know, um, a, another campaign I'm going to be starting is for mental health in dogs, because people just don't believe there's such thing. If you say to them, uh, I think your dog's suffering from mental health, and you kind of explain it, you get the look of horror. And actually, nine times out of ten, I've been right. You know, dogs suffer from mental health, suffer from depression. All of these things I have learned and experienced. And I would never, ever, ever have been able to do any of this stuff if Matt and I hadn't parted ways and I'd taken over the company. It's just, it's just all fallen into this. You know, the TV show only happened because I'm a behaviourist. So it's all, it's, it's all meant to be, definitely. <sighs> I sense that you both had different visions for what House of Hugo should be and that your drive was about the work and about the dogs. Yeah, and my, my drive just happened to get stronger. It just mm. got stronger and stronger and stronger. And I am a big character. Um, I like having fun. I like having a good laugh. But I've, I've realised... I like being serious as well, mm. and I like talking about serious topics, and um, dogs don't have a voice, and I just love being able to transfer what the dog's telling me through behaviour to say to the owner, mm. and yeah, none of that would have happened. And with his departure, the lovely Mia has become your right paw here. Yeah, well, she, she took over as manager for probably about a year and a half. And uh, she does the hydrotherapy full-time now. So my new business partner as such is Richard. He's, he's the new manager. And the customers love him. And he's brilliant at what he does. I know I can go away filming and not have to worry one single bit about the business because mm. he just keeps it rolling. Every staff member that I've met here seems to be cut from the same stone. There is a, a thread of friendliness and passion and dedication yeah. to everything that House of Hugo is involved with. I, I want it's to adopt all of you as family. Yeah, a family, and it is. And people come and go, that happens. That happens with anyone. Sometimes you get a bad egg in the whole yeah. mix, and it happens. But the one thing that staff are is true to their job and true to what they believe in, and they all love what they do. It's not a job you could fake. You know, you couldn't mm. say, oh, I need a job, Bob, it's money in the bank. You couldn't do it. And other people that fall on the wayside because they can't keep it up. It's not that kind of place. You have to be wholeheartedly involved. And passion is about and dogs. passionate, so passionate. No mm. passion, no job. I also understand that you're doing another television vehicle as well, this time dealing with, well, I'll be blunt, rotund celebrities and their fatty dogs. Yeah. Again, 
it came from nowhere. Because I did the weight loss thing with Alfie, and then I've done it a couple of times, uh, residential, I don't charge for it. If the dog needs it and they're going to get butt sleep, I'll do it for free. I just take them and keep them until they're fixed and then send them back. And I got a phone call. I was on holiday in Pompeii, somewhere I've always wanted to visit all my life, but never been. It's an amazing it place, isn't it? It fascinates me. Absolutely mm. fascinates me. A snapshot in history. Yeah. It's just, yeah. And I was there and this company called me and... The first thing they said was, no, sorry, they sent an email, then I phoned them up and I was like, hi, it's Leon, you sent me an email. You're the man that makes fat dogs skinny. And I went, well, yeah, I've been called worse. <laughs> and that was the start of the conversation. They want me to, um, I don't know how much detail to go into. There's a really exciting new video game coming out uh, worldwide and it's to do with cats and dogs. And I've been asked to front the, the drive of it. I'm doing a live event in London, um, which is in November, mid-November. And I'm taking six celebrity, heavy, overweight celebrities and the dogs in a fitness class, live, around the world. So are these celebrities from different countries or is it one group of celebrities and you travel with them to make I'm, the dogs fit? I'm not sure. Because this new video game is a worldwide game. It's, it's a shocker. And that's the other interesting thing. Will it be celebrities with their own dogs or will there be ones borrowed from somewhere else? Right. Because they're more interested in the overweightness of... Right. It makes you wonder how much of that kind of scenario is going to be manufactured. But who cares about that? That's just yeah. television. You're going to be fronting an international game. And I get to interview each one of them. They have to tweet the interview as part of their contract, so there's no getting out of it. Mm. And I've said, what can I say? How can I be? Can I be truthful? Because I am truthful, with, especially nutrition. If something really annoys me, I'll tell somebody. Mm. Again, you're speaking for the dog. I'm not bothered about what the human thinks. I'm looking after the dog, first Dog-centric. and foremost. Yeah. And it's going to be very interesting because the best one that I always get told is, I'll say, um, how many treats does your dog eat? Bearing in mind, it's probably about 20 kilos. No, no, they, they never get treats. Mm. And I just reply by saying, listen, cut the shit. Mm. Your dog didn't get that fat by eating yeah. air and dust. Yeah. And they're going to have to tweet that. Whatever I say to them, they have to tweet. Oh, so it's going to be full disclosure. Yes. <laughs> so you're going to be sizing these people up. You're going to be reprimanding them. And from the sounds of it, when you mean business, you're not going to not be polite. Back. No, I won't hold You're back. going to cut to the chase. Yeah, definitely. And so you should. Yeah. If a dog is, is 20 kilos... Yeah. And, I had one you know, yesterday. It's seven kilos overweight, this tiny dog. Um, and I just said to her, she went, oh, I've just bought... It's disgusting, actually. She bought this bag of food. I'm trying to get her to go on to raw, because that's what I promote. Raw food for dogs. It's the best. The bath she, diet. I'm a very, very big yeah, fan the bath myself. Diet, yeah, 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 absolutely. And she was more concerned. I just told her that a dog will probably 99% end up with arthritis. It's only a young dog. It's nearly double its body weight. It's a tiny, tiny dog. It's born to want to take the pressure. But I've just bought a 40-pound bag of food. And I just <sighs> said... Okay, what's more important? 40 pounds or keeping your dog for the next couple of years? What would you prefer? And that is what it is. It's 40 quid. That is the love of your life. It's a no-brainer. It's It's a no-brainer. Some people can be so... And you have to be honest in situations like that because I, I just... It just riles me up. Some people can be so pointlessly frugal and 
And yet they say how much they love the dog and how much they want to keep them for as long as they can and they're bothered about 40 quid. Chuck the bag of food away, start them on the raw diet tomorrow and enjoy extra time with your dog. I mean, a lot of these large dog food manufacturers have tremendous adverts where you see border collies and spaniels and German shepherds running through the meadows looking beautiful. But then you look at the list of ingredients. Oh, my God, yeah. People will come in, they'll say, I'll say, what diet are they on? This? Oh, they're on that really good one, you know, the really expensive one. Mm. Well, it might be expensive, but it's not good. Mm. I have yet to hear somebody explain to me how dry kibble is a natural product when it doesn't look like a piece of meat. Well, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Oh, it's natural. There's no preservatives, there's nothing in it. Mm. Well, it doesn't look like bits of chopped up meat to me. Mm. It's dry biscuits. It's yeah. processed. And then you need a microscope to be able to read all of the ingredients, yes. even when words like you know, natural and oh, healthy yeah. are yeah. You know, emblazoned on the packaging. Yeah. And they yeah. have about 12% meat content in them. Oh, it's disgusting. But it's, it's about educating people. It's not about, you know, when I have clients, I don't point the finger. I just try to educate them and explain mm. to them why this is better for them being on a raw diet why these products are processed and it's a multi-million pound marketing campaign. Mm. Even if I was offered, I don't know, millions and millions of pounds to promote a dog food, if it wasn't raw, I would not do it. I would not do it because Mm. I'd be lying to myself and I'd be going against everything I believe in. The Bath Diet, I'm a big advocate and I'm I'm glad that you are. It makes sense. It really, really, really does. I'll say to people, you wouldn't feed your toddlers McDonald's breakfast, lunch and dinner. They're shocked. I'm like, well, that's what you're doing to your dog. Yeah, it's really easy to um, be suckered in by those adverts and the marketing and the the imagery. You you feel that you're doing the the best for your dog, even though By giving dentist sticks instead of brushing the teeth. Mm. Lo and behold, dentist sticks rot the teeth. It's, you know... Mm. Yeah, I mean, these companies want to continue to sell to the, the public, so yeah. it's not exactly going to be as preventative as it claims to be, is no. it? Is there a rough timeline in terms of when the, the new Untitled Dog Behaviour show is going to make it onto our screens? You know, roughly. So, yeah, it'll be spring... Um, summer 2018. And where's that being filmed? Here at House of Hugo or in a studio? In a studio. And, uh, deep where? in the forest. Right. Oh, no, in it's a not studio. in the forest. Deep in the forest. Uh, and where I is this the forest? name of the studio. <laughs> and that would have just blown it all out of the water. Um, it, yeah, it's up north in right. Manchester, oh, where I'm right. filming. That gives me a rough indication. Oh my God, yeah, of it does. W- I've just, yeah. You've kind of revealed which uh, <sighs> terrestrial concern it may be. Ah, he's given me a number, ah, and it's a number that, that can only be that. revealed on on one hand, and that that's the only hint. <laughs> that's the only hint that I, I will yes. I will give. Although I'm not a celebrity, celebrity. By the time this TV show is aired, there'll have been two series on, and I got asked if I would be interested. If I had the opportunity, would I go into a jungle? And I said, what kind of jungle? And they said, a jungle where things crawl on you and you have to eat things and that you wouldn't normally maybe, want to eat. And this jungle, maybe, is it in Australia by any chance? Well, I didn't ask, actually. Are the two Geordies have something to do with this <laughs> particular programme? I can't show you on one hand, can I? <laughs> um, and, yeah, I was shortlisted from... There was 20 of us. It's a lot of new faces for the terrestrial channels, BBC One, BBC Two, ITV, Channel Four, Channel Five. 
new faces that are going to be relevant at the time when this programme is made, late in 2018. And I was put in with 20 other males, um, and then it got shortlisted to six, and then I got a phone call to say it was shortlisted to four. Right. And then I did a Skype with uh, one of the executives, and it's between me and one other person. Can you reveal who the other person is? They're a new face too. Right. It goes by the viewing figures next year. And this new TV show I'm doing is expected to get 4.6 million viewers a week. The Dog Hotel got a quarter of a million, which was massive for, for Channel Watch. They expected 40,000 viewers a week, and we got mm. a quarter of a million. But this new one is 4.6 million a week, and it's a tea time show. So it's like, it, yeah, it's bigger than I ever could ever have imagined. So it's quite possible that you may be making a trip down under. I didn't say that. <laughs> you didn't say it could no. Be, it could be the new forest in the UK, couldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, budgets, <laughs> yeah. post-Brexit budgets are such that the jungle is now the new forest. Yes. And uh, one thing I, I must ask you, you know, in addition to the, the ink and the beard... You've got some serious guns. You, you spend a lot of time in, in the gym. Uh, how, how often are you pumping iron? I haven't been for 10 weeks now, which I'm regretting because I'm about to go live with celebrities in a fitness class and I've lost about eight kilos. So I'm not feeling as big as I was. Losing gains, isn't that the phrase? Yeah. But um, I was going, I'd see personal trainer four times a week for an hour. That's it. Right. It goes by diet. I'm, I've never... I love junk food, but it's not something I'd eat all the time. Mm. But then being a nutritionist promoting health in dogs, if I sat in it rubbish all day, I wouldn't be able to stand there and promote it, really. You need to walk the walk and talk the talk yes. and all of that stuff. Yes. One thing I wanted to ask you, your sister appeared in one of my fave episodes that you actually referenced earlier in the interview of the Dog Hotel in which pup cakes were being mentioned. Yes. And she seems super sound. She, she's like the female you. Oh, she's, yeah, people say, oh my God, that's you in a wig. And do you mind me asking, are, are you quite close in age? Dare I say, are you twins? Yes, yeah, I'm 42 and she's 44. Right. When you were fostered, were you we fostered, were fostered together? together? So we were always kept together. Right. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, she's been in a, your life for the duration. Yeah, we kind of had a gap where, you know, I went off and wasn't around for a few years, but our relationship gets stronger and stronger as we get older and older. Mm. And does she live locally to House yeah, of she, Hugo? Yeah, she lives in Littlehampton. Oh, right. We, so not far away. Not, not far away at all. It's interesting how both of your lives have taken you from picturesque, beautiful Cumbria. Yeah. And it is. What a gorgeous oh, part of the world gorgeous, to call beautiful, home. Beautiful. It, it, absolutely tremendous. Uh, to the South Coast, which is beautiful for many, many different reasons. Yeah. Is that a coincidence? Uh, has destiny brought her to the South Coast as well? Or She was, she was running a, quite an exclusive cocktail bar in Manchester uh, for a couple of years. And she just, she just had enough. She just, you know, and I said, please move down here. You'll love it. I knew she'd love it because we've got similar interests. And I just knew if she could wake up every day and see the sea, she'd be like, wow. So she did. She just packed a car, came down, and she's been here ever since. That was eight years ago. Life seems easier and better here. Do you know what? People don't judge here. You have literally... It reminds me of Venice Beach. 
in LA. Mm. It, just all different walks of life. And it's funny when you have friends that come from Glasgow or up north where I'm from, seeing the faces when they see things for the first time, like, oh yeah. And that we just see every day and we don't even, but it's a shock factor for them. And I just love it here. I, I would never live anywhere else. I can't ever imagine living anywhere else. I love up north. And there's times when I go home, I think, oh God, wouldn't it be lovely to have a little, little cottage up there somewhere. But I just, I love living here. I can't, it's the most comfortable place I've ever felt. It's liberal, cosmopolitan, and thanks to the sea, it, it, it stops. Yes. It, it's, you know, it can only get built up so much. And yeah. it does feel like London on sea, only significantly friendlier. And I love London. I always find that, you know, within seconds of my arrival in Brighton, Hove, Shoreham... It melts away, doesn't it? My, Just, my yeah, shoulders, shoulders come drop. down. Yeah. And it is a very, very, very special place. I have to say that uh, Sylvia from the Dukey Radio Show has asked me specifically whether or not she can adopt you as a brother. Can we get the legal work in, yeah, play, in place for that? Oh, good, OK. That's OK, I can, I can do that. I'll get my people to talk with your people. There's a lot to go through now, obviously. Oh, fair enough. But you're still willing to do it, but and yeah, your, yeah, your yeah. people the, will the be... The paperwork will come down to me eventually, and yeah, I'll sign uh, okay, it. OK, excellent. Well, you, you'll have a lovely sister. So and, I've got a uh, new sister. Yeah. I might add my name to that list, that's if okay. that's OK. The more the merrier. Yeah, and Molly, the little dog. No. <laughs> By the way, I have to thank you for naming one of your dogs after me, Duke. Yeah. And how's Duke doing? How's Daphne doing? Duke and Daphne. I sound so cool, doesn't it? It's good. Um, These are good names. They're, they're doing amazingly. Um, Duke, we adopted, and he was 18 months old. That's, yeah, about three months ago. And is it a, a Welsh terrier? Welsh terrier. So right. it's like a miniature... Um, my old dog, Scooby, bless him... Um, was an Airedale, full-size Airedale, and Duke is like a squashed-down version of him. And I did laugh when Duke first came because he had a couple of issues. Mm. And I thought Scooby was up there laughing, looking down, saying, you thought I was hard work. <laughs> it's payback time. Yeah, and that's what I think <laughs> when I look at him. So Scooby, Scooby carries on in these, and I called Daphne Daphne because I had Scooby, it would have been Daphne, Fred, Shaggy, maybe not Shaggy, and that was the theme. And I was always going to get another Airedale, a girl one. Um, and I just kept putting it off for some reason. And after Scooby passed, I thought it's time. And so, yeah, she is 16 weeks old now. She's nearly as big as Scooby was. She's bigger than Duke. And, yeah, they're gorgeous. They're lovely. They've got their own little... Um, oh, what's it called? Instagram. Instagram account. If people want to bond with Duke and Daphne on Instagram, how can they find... Just These lovely pooches. Duke and Daphne. They come as a pair. They come as a team. Oh, I'm going to, to sign up to subscribe <laughs> to them straight away. Leon, it has been an absolute privilege and an honour to have you on the Dukey Radio Show. Thanks to you for being you, and I really, really mean that. I've wanted to do this for three years now. Wow. Paxman, you've got nothing on me. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for asking me to do it. I'm privil- I feel privileged and honoured to do it. Thank you. Let's see what Slutty Sue is doing in her house. In her house. Let's see what Slutty Sue is doing in her house. In her house. Let's see what Slutty Sue is doing in her house. In her house.
done with those mugs? To a mere pedestrian or uninitiated local, Penge may appear to be an unremarkable suburb of London. Neither city nor country, neither posh nor destitute. But in this quiet enclave in the southeastern quarter of our nation's capital is an Art Deco semi-detached house owned and occupied by a North American transplant to Blighty named Slutty Sue. She likes to clean. I popped into Slutty Sue's pristine abode and asked, Slutty Sue, what have you been up to? So it's that time of year again, Dookie, where the leaves are falling and the clocks have gone back. And everything just needs to be put to bed. So my neighbor, who's a gardener, he's scrubbing everything out that's got all dirty over the summer. So this week, Dookie, I've been going over to his house to help him clean his massive, mucky tool. Well, that is indeed your lot. Leon Towers is a most engaging, compassionate and warm person. I thoroughly enjoyed the afternoon we spent together. He was incredibly open with his emotions and that is clearly revealed in the laughs and tears that we shared together. Although the next one to two years are going to be incredibly exciting for Leon's career in the world of television and the exposure that will bring. At the heart of what he is as a person is a character who is very passionate about his family, the dogs he works with, his colleagues, and the customers who are lucky to have House of Hugo as their local go-to place for both doggy daycare and luxury boutique dog accommodation. You've listened to our interview with Leon Towers. My name is Dukey and I've been your host. Until next time, may the worst of tomorrow be the best of yesterday. Now it's time for me to go and uh, <clears throat> pop my weasel. Thanks for listening. Half a pound of tuppenny rice, half a pound of treacle. That's the way the money goes. Pop goes the weasel. Facebook. Click on your mouse to our Facebook page. Facebook. It's easy to find. It will not take an age Facebook www.facebook.com Forward slash The Dukey Radio Show The Dukey Radio Show The thin white Dukey is right Click your way to the Dukey Radio Show Facebook page www.facebook.com forward slash The Dukey Radio Show The Dukey Radio Show The Dukey Radio Show
Suzuki, I'm back. Cause I've been at it.